Hello and welcome back. I am Jake Fritzke. I am an admin here at Holy Trinity Anglican Church in Raleigh, and I am back again with Trip Gordon, who's one of our ministers here on staff. We're going to be talking about community uh, inside the church and with people who love Jesus. So, Trip, welcome back. Good to be back. Hope people, um, you know, didn't get their their fill of us last time <laughs> in the last uh, podcast series because we're back, uh, Jake and Trip. Uh, but not specifically talking about anything. Explicitly with regard to Anglicanism, we hope this series is something that, I don't know, I've found is on the, the minds and hearts of a lot of people, not just Anglicans by any means, mm. not just Christians by any means. I think community is a real big topic in our world right now in a lot of different spheres and circles. And so it's something that I've given a lot of thought to. And I'll be honest, too, from the outset, like I, uh, well, yeah, I taught a class on it. A lot of me teaching that class was was coming to terms with a lot of things myself like <laughs> mm. and reading a lot of things as I went it's not like I wrote a PhD on this and then taught the class it's like I was kind of learning a lot of this as I went along and I and I still definitely am so while I may talk a lot as if I'm the expert quote unquote in this series uh, I'm not I'm I'm learning right alongside you and those listening too so yeah and I, and I can say as as somebody who is is a recent resident of where we live now. My wife and I just moved to Raleigh two years ago, and we moved down here with no friends and no family in the area. The Lord called us to Raleigh without any people here, and so community has been a huge focus of mine for the last two years in trying to figure out, like, who are our people down here? Who are we supposed to be spending time with? Who in the church are kind of the people we want to kind of live and grow with? So yeah. I'm excited because that, that, it's very prescient for me at this point in my life. Yeah. Uh, Jake, if I could pause you before I get too far. Sure. You know, we've had a little bit of a delay since the last series. Any any life updates? Any any changes um, since uh, July or whenever we were talking about <laughs> uh, Thomas Cranmer and telescopes? Yeah. So my son is now 10 months old. Uh, he can now crawl, which is very dangerous. He's huh. turned from kind of a potato who kind of you put him down and he kind of hangs out to now he's like a small missile. He just like you put him down, and he just starts rolling in a specific direction. <laughs> he's awesome. It's really fun. He's he's kind of coming more into himself as huh. like as like a, a person. Just this week, we've learned how to play our very first game. It's been very fun and very. It's been encouraging for me as his dad. So he'll what he'll do is he'll crawl a little ways away, and then he'll sit and turn around and wait for me to chase him. And then when I chase him, he gets excited, jumps back down on all fours, and he'll run a couple more, or he'll he'll waddle a few more feet away, and then he'll turn around and he'll look back for me and wait for me to chase him. And he just gets so excited when I start <laughs> chasing him. There's just this this delight and this glee. It's not just like the normal chaos of hanging out with my son. Yeah. So I'm really excited about that. The only negative is he's growing opinions now. Uh, so three months ago. You uh, don't have opinions. No, opinions, exactly. So I have no opinions. He's, I don't know where he got it from. <laughs> <laughs> um, but three months ago, he, you could take a toy away from him. And within a moment, he was like, I don't know where that toy went. Oh, well, I'll find a different toy. But now, if you take something away from him, he's like, no, 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 I, I really wanted that. I'm upset about this now. Or he's learned that, like, certain toys he's no longer interested in. I don't want to play with that toy anymore. That's not a fun toy. I want to play with Dad's watch. Dad's watch is the new toy, uh, or the trash can in the kitchen is the new toy. And so it's it's challenging to keep up with him and keep up with his his desire to have the things that he wants while also being like, hey... 
you should want the things that aren't going to physically harm you, (laughs) which seems to be the things he is most attracted to. It's like, oh, is that pointy and or made of electricity? (laughs) I should put my finger in it. It's like, buddy. But he's really sweet and wonderful. And we're we're enjoying this new season of parenting as we start actually like parenting, not just caregiving, but like parenting. So, um. Yeah, that's been really cool. How about you? How's your uh, How has your life changed in the last three months? I have a feeling I know what you're going to yeah, talk about. Uh, one big change is we got a dog, uh, <laughs> so a little puppy. He's great. Yeah, it's a cool, cool uh, you know, addition to the family, and we've wanted a dog for a long time, so we finally made made that uh, addition. His name is Baron. Mm. We call him Bear uh, <laughs> or Baron, uh, and yeah, he's real sweet. He's a little Bernadoodle. He's so, very fuzzy. Yeah. He's like right around 12 weeks right now. So um, he's in prime puppy phase. Um, so got a few more bite marks on my arms and uh, a few more scratches. But, yeah, so he's, he's great and excited to kind of, yeah, get a little dog parenting under our belts. And uh, it's fun. So fun little addition there. Baron is uh, – you know, not named after any sort of pizza brands, uh, <laughs> no Red Baron or anything. Uh, but he uh, he's named after a Tolkien character because, of course, um, um, Baron and Luthien, if people know the story. Of course, everyone knows. They Baron should know. Uh, if from you Google it, you'll find it. You know, there is a reference to it in the movie. I'll let people figure that out when <laughs> Aragorn refers to Baron, Fellowship of the Ring. Uh, mm. But, yeah, so he's, yeah, I've always liked that name. And it's actually the name Tolkien has it on his gravestone. Uh, oh. Him and his wife. His wife is Luthien, and he was Baron. So, oh, yeah, that's really sweet. Well, then, uh, where do we start in talking about community? What 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 is, what is the beginning or the introduction to community? That's a good question. Well, Jake, I I don't mean to flip the roles too much, but you mentioned you know you guys moved down to Raleigh. I'm curious, in general. What do you think makes finding community difficult, whether specifically to, to, you know, new moves or just, you know, getting acquainted in the young adult world or, sure, or whatever, yeah. you know, like, yeah. Any any thoughts to that? Sure. I, I promise I don't have too many thoughts, but <laughs> I'm curious to get some well, of your thoughts. I would definitely say that the, the, the hardest challenges for us in finding community coming to Raleigh were – Number one, it's really it requires a lot of effort. Like it requires a lot of like going out of your way, meeting new people, going to all the gatherings that they're on the calendar, trying your best to be friendly when you get where you're going so that you can kind of meet the people that you want to meet. So it's it's a lot of effort and it can be really exhausting for people who are not people people. I am a people people or a people person. I love people, I love to talk, I like to chat and have a grand old time, but there are definitely times where that can be exhausting especially for my wife who is an introvert and who is not always a people people or a people person (laughs) she can get tired out by that really quickly so it was hard in the first year that we were here being that that balance of like okay we really want to go out and meet people but also like we've been doing this for four days in a row or three weekends in a row we just kind of need some time to, to to cool down and 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 rest and be together the other thing is like it 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 felt when we first moved here, and I don't think this is particular to Raleigh. I think this is uh-huh. probably just how people work. But it felt like a lot of people were not seeking applications for new friends. Uh-huh. <laughs> they yeah. were like, no, nah, we've kind of got our group already. These yeah. are our people. We're not really looking for new people. I think we were blessed when we first got here that the 
there was a, a kind of a new Bible study for young adults that was forming, and we kind of jumped into that, and that's where we met uh, you and Allie and a, a number of other people inside the church kind of right away, and that was really, really helpful and encouraging for us to be like, oh, there are people here our age. There are people here who are kind of in the same life stage or, or kind of in the same place with Jesus. So that was really encouraging and helpful, and I think that was kind of the Lord landing us here was yeah. helping us to find that group. That's great. But other than that, it was it was definitely challenging yeah. to find people who were open and like, oh yeah, we, we want you to be a part of our group. Yeah, yeah, and it's funny, you know, I, Allie and I are introverts, <laughs> and so they they gave the guy who's an introvert the task of giving a talk on building community (laughs) and the role of pastor Mm. which building community you know Mm. so it's uh while i i'm gonna talk a lot about you know how we do that and it's gonna sound maybe like i'm an extrovert like i'm actually an introvert too it's it's hard for me a lot of times and i think you know just to double down on what you're saying perhaps like something i kind of hit me maybe a few years ago but i realized that like all of my life my friendships that I had, I'm not going to say like they were just easy, Mm. you know, you had to do something, but like, quite honestly, they were just kind of given to me. Like I was best friends with, you know, this guy because we had like literally every elementary school class together (laughs) and we played sports together. Like we were around each other all the time. Mm. Uh, I was friends with the people I was friends with in college. Why? Well, we were sweet mates, you know, or like we were part of the same college ministry. So we saw each other all the time we spent summers together like we were roommates together you yeah, know? yeah yeah uh so yeah most of my friendships till i was like 25 were like either they were in we were in class together we were neighbors we were uh teammates we uh did travel baseball together uh like if i like had my myspace top eight like all of them could be like categorized. <laughs> you like that? Not reference? to age yourself. <laughs> uh, they could be categorized by like something of that regard. But then, like, I was like 26, and I was like, okay, I gotta actually like. That's not. I mean, yeah, you can do your Rotary Club or whatever, <laughs> you know, and find something like that. Be like, you gotta really like do stuff to yeah. get to find friends and build community. You know, I yeah. mean, there is the church, but the church isn't like. A, a college suite. Sure, you know? it's, it's not seven days a week. Right. It's, it's one or two days a week if you've got other stuff going on. Right. So most of the community, and this is like human history. Like most of like the reason you have the friendships that you do is just who do you spend the t- most time around? And mm-hmm. most communities were just like around each other all the time, <laughs> and that's why they were friends. You know, so like yeah. we're more isolated, and so mm-hmm. and I, yeah, I just found that to be true. Like it really does take a lot of work, and that's why it can be. Uh, challenging and so um, yeah any other things you guys have found like yeah I think it's also been challenging in new parenthood Um, having a new baby is has been for us at least very isolating because again we have no parents in town yeah and we don't really have friends nearby us. Most people that know us either live out in Cary, which is on the other side of the city, or mm-hmm. you and Allie live pretty far south of us, like 35 minutes away. Mm-hmm. So it's not like there's anybody right like next door who can pop over and give us a hand when we need a hand. So we've really been isolated by having a newborn slash now having a, a baby where it's like we, we, he has needs and we only have one car. Yeah. So like either one of us leaves and goes and does something and leaves the other person home with him, or we both just kind of stay and stick it out together, which has been our general temperament. (laughs) Uh, So it's been like, okay, if we're going to care for this baby, we're going to do it together because we can't really go out. And there's no one who can take care of him 
other than us. So we either have to take him places with us or we have to stay home. Yeah. Um, so that's been that's been hard because it, it, it means that Katie, who works from home, basically sees no one. Yeah. I take the car to work all day. She's at home. Uh, Nathan goes to daycare. So she's just kind of home alone all day. Then I bring Nathan home in the evening with me when I come home. And then we're at home. We take care of him for a couple hours, make dinner. He goes to bed, eat dinner, watch a TV show, go to bed. And it's yeah. like, that's our day every yeah. day of the week. And so it, it's we're hopeful. I mean, that, that, that season is hopefully ending soon as he gets to stay up a little bit later. And as we kind of get our rhythms down and he becomes slightly more capable. But yeah, that's been, that's been a real challenge for us. Yeah. And it's, and it's, I mean, it's one of the reasons we haven't been able to go to community group is because uh -huh. community group starts at seven. Our son goes to bed at seven. So it's like, yeah. well, either one of us could go or neither of us go and we keep an eye on the baby. And it's like, yeah. well, that's what we're going to do then. So, yeah. nah, that's, uh, it's understandable, man. And I mean, I hope, I think that sets me up well to dive into some things. And I hope what people are hearing from this is some things they can relate to. And then, you know, some things they can connect the dots to their own situations. I think one of the advantages of this series is I think what we're going to be talking about is a lot more practical and a lot more it gets into the nitty gritty of a lot of people's lives. You know, mm -hmm. uh, that's actually like as I was reading and studying for this series, man community is is a tough 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 topic and mm. there's so many different areas you can go into with it I, <laughs> the first talk that i wrote for this was nine thousand words oh my god <laughs> i had to delete a lot <laughs> we're not gonna be saying yeah. but there's just so much to cover and I, I would just say too before we get too far like talking about community more so than hardly anything else at least i've found really gets into people's idols Mm. And really gets into deep embedded sin struggles mm. at times because when you talk about community, you're talking about where you where you value your time mm. and what makes life worth it. You know what, sure. what what is worth my time, what's not worth my time, and a lot of times that's driven by Christian conviction. You know, good things, the spirit led, but then also not so much that. You yeah. Know? So not to say like I'm coming straight at that by any means but i think from what you're saying there like even speaking about community group it's like a lot of what we're talking about here is like hey there's going to be some things that the individual needs to reflect and say okay how can i continue to pursue community because i, I need it mm -hmm. but then on the other side there's going to be the the collective the group that says okay what can we do so that we can help this person who we see needs community mm. and not just say oh well we do it at seven you need to figure it out you know there's ways we can think about that but so i think to transition a little bit i think there's a harsh reality we need to address at least that i've observed you can disagree if you, if you think this is the case but i think the world we live in the air that we breathe the streams that we swim in whatever you want to call it uh, is not set up well for community to thrive at least here in 2023 21st century post-pandemic we live in a society where the decks are pretty stacked against us when it comes to doing life together that, that Bonhoeffer phrase, is that a word? <laughs> Just made it up. Uh, I think we're told from such a young age that a successful life is, you know, getting into that school, getting into that uh, degree that you wanted to pursue or having that family, making money. And our corporations, institutions, by and large, are shaped by a culture that ultimately champions individualism, personal freedoms, and personal advancement. You know, we don't go to colleges like, 
UNC Chapel Hill, NC State, Harvard, Yale, the George Masons, Masons of the world. <laughs> primarily, Same level. Yeah, <laughs> primarily to make community. Of course, you know, we hope we make community there. We hope we find friends. We hope we get into a good suite, you know, and have mm-hmm. friendships there. But we go there to ultimately advance professionally and to build prospects for our career. If you told anybody, oh, I'm going to Duke this fall to, like, make friends, they would say, okay. Uh, I hope that's not the only reason. <laughs> Are you pursuing to, a degree of any yeah, kind? Your major is not in friendships. You know? <laughs> uh, so our our you know our universities, workplaces, institutions, technologies around us they they want us to be in healthy communities for sure. But that's not their driving motivator. And if something has to be sacrificed, it is often community at the expense of a grade, a promotion, a pay raise, and the bottom line of of profit. You know, mm. so all this is say is I think we should just address and say that we do not live in a neutral society when it comes to community. If something is going to get the the guillotine between career, school, biological family versus investing in your communities, I think we all know what that would be. I think we're naturally bent towards turning inward in this sense. Just our culture is shaped around us in such a way. Um, and so we sacrifice community before we are willing to sacrifice our careers, before we're willing to sacrifice our responsibilities, before we're willing to sacrifice the all-powerful me. I think it's, and the, one of the images I like to think of is, you know, there's, and you've been in an airport before, uh, there's those moving sidewalks. Mm. I don't know, uh, they may have a fancier name. I just call them moving sidewalks. It's a good name for uh, them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think in a lot of ways our culture is we don't realize it, but we're on one of those with regard to community and isolation. Um, and if we don't do anything, it, the culture is going to take us in a certain direction. You mm-hmm. know, we're, we're on a moving sidewalk going towards a direction of sorts. For a long time uh, in human history, that moving sidewalk was going towards community. It's mm-hmm. just the naturally how the, the uh, collective societies were arranged. But now in such a way, if you, if you just stay where you're at, culture is going to take you towards individualism and isolation so anyways i I, that's just something i've i've found to be true and i don't know what would you make of that i mean i would agree i think we we live in an unprecedented time in that isolation is really easy we live in a a place in time where humans are capable of sustaining themselves without using other people Mm -hmm. Um, it used to be that like if you wanted food you needed somebody to help you grow it and somebody to help you pick it. Now, just go to the grocery store all by yourself and you pick up your loaf of bread and your gallon of milk and you go back home. We live in a time where you can work from home, where you never even need to interact with another human being during your day if you don't want to. We, we just live in a time where humans are so sufficient all yeah. by themselves as far as our physical needs are concerned that community is something that we have to strive for. Which I, So I agree with you in that I think the moving sidewalk if you do nothing, you'll end up in your house with all of your needs met entirely alone. And I think I would just want to say, you know, there's some people maybe listening to this and like, hey, amen, brother. Like, I'm right there. <laughs> and I'm glad you're voicing this. And then other people are like, oh, like, I'm I'm okay. Like, <laughs> that sounds awesome. You know, or, or I mean, like, oh, I'm, I'm like, I've got some guys I meet up with sometimes. Like, mm-hmm. I think I would just want to say if I could speak as strongly, perhaps, as I might on this episode, just to say, like, you're probably a lot lonelier than you realize. Just not you, Jake. <laughs> but, uh, but like, uh, probably. you know, people listening, like we just live in a very lonely culture. Hmm. Uh, the Surgeon General, U.S. Surgeon General, just released a report this year 
a few months ago uh, titled Our Epidemic of Loneliness and Isolation. 82-page report. You can go look it up. A lot of really incredible stats there. But just, I mean, a few thoughts here from that. The rate of loneliness among young adults has increased every year between 1976 and 2019. So by any standard, by any measure, loneliness has increased in the last 30 years. A few more uh, stats just to back up that somewhat bold statement. Recent Harvard study said that 36% of people who responded report serious loneliness. Uh, that's not just, you know, lonely here or there, but daily. This included 61% of young people aged 18 to 25 and 51% of mothers with young children mm. report serious loneliness. The Barna Group, a Christian polling firm, documented that 38% of practicing Christians expressed unbearable and intense loneliness in the past week compared to, you know, that's that's practicing Christians, people who are unchurched adults, the percentage was 39%. So um, just when you walk into a church congregation, like you're, if this stat is somewhat, you know, true, which Barn is a reputable site, <laughs> uh, just about one out of every three people you see is experiencing unbearable and intense loneliness, and they experienced that in this past week. One last stat, sorry to belabor the point, but uh, this is from the Survey Center on American Life. This is in regards to uh, men, specifically towards men. This says 30 years ago, a majority of men, 55%, reported having at least six close friends. Today, that number has been cut in half. Slightly more than one in four, 27% of men have six or more close friends today. 15% of men have no close friendships at all. A five-fold increase since 1990. So I'm not over here to present this doomsday reality by any means. Uh, I, I have a very high view of community. That's why I want to talk about it. But I just want to say, like, we, we live in a lonely, lonely culture, in a lonely, lonely world um, U.S. Surgeon General is recognizing this. The church is recognizing this. This isn't just a church conversation. It's all across the world. I read this in the New York Times recently, just talking about the, what the U.S. General was, was noticing in regards to young adults. Young adults report being even lonelier than the elderly. America is, by any historical standard, unimaginably rich and powerful, yet we've lost what matters most, community and connection. So, there's your <laughs> presentation, Jake. But I, I just, I, you know, this is a big deal. And I want to say, too, that we're made for community. I think that's not something that is strictly something that the church talks about. But, like, we recognize there's a problem, you know. Yeah. We recognize the moving sidewalks going in a certain direction, and we need to correct the course. Like, we're made for community. If you look at a lot of self-help and other things, like people are observing this, U.S. Surgeon General, et cetera. But, but why are we made for community? And I ultimately want to communicate that we're ultimately made for community because we're made for God. Um, we're made for community not just because that's what it means to be human. Mm. We're not just made for community because anthropologically, like, humans have always existed in a community, so we need it to thrive. I want to say that this is, this is a... This is a theological issue. This is a, a gospel issue. How we pursue community reveals what we believe to be true of God. And so that's kind of a lot of my, my thesis throughout the whole series is this idea that we're made for community because we're made for God. But I hope people grasp that at the outset, you know, and that's why 
we should be hesitant towards putting community on the guillotine <laughs> at mm. the risk of our career, at the risk of our bottom line, at the risk of our kids getting into the right kindergarten classes or whatever, <laughs> you know. Um, community is a big deal, not just because we need it, but because it actually reveals something about what we believe to be true about God. So you can pause for a second. Any any thoughts to some of those stats? Or? I mean, that, it's, it's, I mean, it's, the stats, I think, bear forth what I think is pretty obvious to most people, I think. I don't know. At least in in my life, I would agree with you in that, like, past the age of 25, I really had to work at friendships. It was like, oh, I actually, like, have to, like, go out of my way to see and meet and engage with people. I, too, had very good friends in college because I lived with them. And I was like, oh, these are my people because, like, they're, they're, they live literally in my house. Yeah. Um, but as an adult, like, it, it can be so hard to find that space in your schedule, to find that space in your attention to be like, oh, I want to I go spend time with these people. And I think a lot of my non-Christian friends have the same problem. I mean, I know some guys who don't love Jesus, don't go to church regularly, but they have maybe two or three friends total. Like, that's it. They go to work, they come home to their wives, and they might see the boys on the weekends for a drink or to go bowling or something. And it's like, and that's that's what community looks like right. in their life. But it, it seems insufficient. I mean, every right. time I talk to them, they're like, yeah, I, I don't feel like I have like friends the way that I used to. Yeah. So, yeah, I think all of those statistics, I think, are very easily borne out. And I, and I hope, it, it, as the listener, like, you can see that borne out in the world around you. Like, yeah. it's, it's, I don't think any of this is a mystery. Like, I don't, I, I, let me say it this way. None of that should surprise anybody, right. uh, yeah. especially post-COVID, where I feel like a lot of people's communities have either been totally erased. The bowling league, the, the men's night, the book club, maybe those dissolved over right. the last couple of years. And maybe you just like don't have meetings the way that you used to. I know I don't. Both moving from my hometown and COVID totally destroyed all of my original rhythms of fellowship and community. And they had to be rebuilt. Yeah. And I think the moving sidewalk of cultures you talk about easily drives you towards, well, don't worry about rebuilding them. It's fine. Yeah. It's okay. Just keep surviving the way that you have survived yeah become more insular become more self-focused so yeah yeah totally and i hope people become encouraged throughout this conversation over these next few episodes that the church actually has a huge role to play in not only pursuing their brothers and sisters in christ but seeing the lost and lonely of the world and you know, how the New Testament talks about what the church is meant to be is we're actually meant to be not only a light of salvation to them, but actually a light of like, this is what true humanity looks like when it comes together and reconciles the irreconcilable. Mm. Um, and there's just a beautiful thing to a, a divided world, seeing gospel communities coming together. And there's actually something that you see in God's very character in that. And so that's what I want to get to next, actually. Jake, question for you. A little uh, meta question here, but what do you think God was doing before creation? See, that's not fair, Trip, because we've already <laughs> talked about this. Uh, yes, um, yes. What do you want me to say? What do you, what do you think? Well, I mean, like, if you didn't, if we didn't, okay, talk, if we what, do you, what, do you if think, we didn't already... what do you think most people think God was doing before creation? I, I think the, the, the conception is that God was kind of nowhere being he yeah. just kind of was he was floating in some great void as the single speck of light in the darkness somebody mentioned this to me one time like augustine 
set of this question, like it's like a fool, it's a question only fools ask. <laughs> so I guess I'm a fool according to Augusta. <laughs> uh, but so not to quibble too much with one of the best theologians of all time, but I actually think the New Testament does give us a little bit there. Uh, starting with Genesis 1. That's a good place to start making sure. a biblical theological argument. There is, of course, the famous, let us make man in our own image after our likeness. What do you make of that? You know, the I mean, that's a famous, the, yeah, the, I mean, the it's, us, the our, we're like, wait a second, like, what's happening here? Yeah, I mean, what 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 do you think Christians are to make of that language? There? Sure, I, when I've heard a couple different things, I've heard that that's the, the royal we, that it's God just speaking of himself in the first person, uh-huh. but in using the royal we. He um, can do that if he wants to. Ab- absolutely, I mean, <laughs> if anyone is capable of the royal we, it is the creator of all things. Yeah. But uh, I've also heard that it's a, a Trinitarian reference, that mm-hmm. it's it's the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, it's a, it's a communion um, of decision makers in one person saying, we shall make man in our own image. But I suspect you know more. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, there's this challenge often in biblical interpretation, of course, where it's very easy to want to read into it what we see and what we think makes the most sense. And there's this this push-pull of you want to allow the original author to communicate what they we're trying to communicate that's part of what inspiration means is like god uses specific human instruments to communicate his message but then also you want to take into account the whole scope of scripture right mm-hmm. so like if we know god is revealed as one god in three persons you know without any divisions of any character or nature then we can't say here that the us is some like multiple gods working together of any sort but then like you want the hebrew author to come out here so anyways, I think sometimes we, we jump too quickly to say like, oh, this is the Trinity. Now, I, I think what we can say about Genesis 1 is there's this mysterious identity happening here. One thing I want to point out, though, is the word for image here is actually pretty important. It's the Hebrew word selim. You know, in the ancient Near Eastern world, each major religion had their God and had a temple of sorts where they would place its own the image or the statue or some sort of cult replica where it reflected in this statue the God that people were meant to to worship. But the Israelite creation narrative has a dramatically new emphasis on where human beings stand in relation to reflecting God. They are themselves that statue. Mm. (laughs) Humans are themselves the reflection of who God is in his temple, his creation, the world. I want to say from the outset, human beings are more than simply like God. We're more than simply like we don't, it's not just that we have arms and legs because God has arms and legs. It's not so much about substance, it's about status. Hmm. Human beings are more than simply like God, but they represent who he is. So I think knowing then that God is triune, that God is Trinitarian, is huge to grasping what it means to be made in his image, to grasp what exactly we are seeing when we look through this this window pane of humanity. That's what we are. You can kind of consider us in such a way. We are window panes. We are, in a sense, icons (laughs) revealing who God really is because God is himself a communal being. We reflect him in our communal identity. We image him. We reflect him in the very fact that we are communal beings In other words, he created us out of relationship for relationship. Of course, God says to Adam, for Eve is created, it is not good for man to be alone. 
we've been created to share amongst fellow image bearers in this communal love shared in the triune God. And this actually is, Jesus says this himself. Really cool verse here, John 17, 24. Jesus just says, and he's, he's praying in this high priestly prayer, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. So take that, Augustine. Uh, there is some answer to what was God doing before he created um, the world. He was, he was in community. He was in fellowship with Father, Son, and Spirit, a fully loving and free community. And so at the most fundamental level, I'd want to say God is not simply just creator. He's not simply ruler or even God in some abstract sense. He is the Father, loving and giving life to his Son in the fellowship of the Spirit. A God who is himself love, who before all things could never be anything but love. So this is actually part of the reason why acknowledging God is Trinitarian is so so helpful here. Uh, Tim Keller makes this note. Love this quote. He says, the life of the Trinity is characterized not by self-centeredness, but by mutually self-giving love. When we delight and serve someone else, we enter into a dynamic orbit around him or her. We center on the interests and desires of the other. That creates a dance, particularly if there are three persons, each of whom moves around the other two. So, Jake, I'm curious. Maybe you've experienced this with with Nathan. You know, I wonder if you and Katie's love experienced something new when you started to love Nathan as well. Mm. You know, there's something when when you're just loving Katie, focusing on her. You know, for a period of your marriage, that was that was the case. You know, but when you started to when Nathan was added to it, uh-huh. <laughs> added to the picture, it, it did something new to your relationship. And I think this is what Keller's getting at here and other theologians throughout the ages is that God is himself. If God was just singular, if God was just a unitary point of being, he would be self-seeking, right? Hmm. Um, when he says, fear me above all gods, you know, it's just <laughs> like, I am, you know, there's just this singular thing. But then if God was 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 two, if God was just himself and the son, it would be, it would be self-centered love. You know, mm. it would just be me and this person. It would be two husband and wife loving each other without any communal nature to it. Mm-hmm. But when the third person is added, there's this dynamic orbit. There is communal life happening mm. and actually love and fellowship is enhanced by the, the addition of the third. So, yeah. So I, I just think it's fascinating. I love, I mean, it's, pretty mind-blowing what Jesus is saying there in John 17. He's saying, the Father has loved me from the foundation of the world. I want them to experience that same love that I have always experienced with the Father. You know what I'm going to do? <laughs> the, the rest of the gospel message is, is what he's going to do. He's going to lay down his life so that we might become a part of that fellowship. That's actually, there's some other parts in the New Testament that get at this. Um, 2 Peter 1, 4 talks about how we are partakers of the divine nature, that we are in some way, shape, or form in our salvation. We're not just uh, 
you know, we don't get to just walk through the pearly gates and then just chill out on the beach forever, <laughs> but we're invited into that fellowship, invited into that communal life that we were always made for. That's mm-hmm. what Jesus is saying. Part of the reason he's come is so that we might begin to share in that love that he has always experienced with the Father. Um, as one of my favorite hymns put it, puts it, um, in his freedom, I am free. You know, in his love, I am loved. It's this idea that when we become in Christ, that's that language that the New Testament uses a lot, we are now partakers. We are in that same fellowship that has always existed between Father, Son, and Spirit in that community that we were always been made for. So this is what I ultimately mean when I say we are made for community because we're made for God. I think until we grasp that, that our salvation and our understanding of the nature of God is not an individualistic thing, you know, where I pray a prayer and I get saved and now I have purpose for my life, until we grasp that that's actually not the point of why Jesus came, uh, I think we'll always kind of see even the Christian life as some sort of individualistic thing. But actually when we see that God is himself a communal God who desires for us to have fellowship with the community, it will make a lot more sense as to why the New Testament speaks as it does about community. So mm. that's really what I got there on like <laughs> uh, while we're while we're talking about this the way that we are. Yeah, so. and I think that makes that makes community so precious, right? Mm-hmm. It's one of the gifts of the cross. Yeah, a- as you put it, like it, it's the one of the reasons that Jesus died was to allow us to commune with the Trinity with Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and with each other. So it's like this, the the outpouring of community really comes out of the cross, which yeah. is crazy. I th- I've never thought about it like that, but that just makes community such a precious gift. Like it is a, it is a direct gift with salvation. Like you are saved to community. <laughs> like yeah. that's That's awesome. exactly how Bonhoeffer talks about it in Life Together. I mean, mm. this is, I mean, not going to summarize the whole book, but if you could <laughs> summarize it in a sentence, you know, it really is like, this is a gospel issue because mm. like we are, we are not just, we're made for community because it's, you know, uh, it's good for you, but it's actually a reflection of what the gospel is. Um, mm. And so, yeah, I think that's, a, it has totally reshaped the way I think about community. And when I am on that moving sidewalk, I think I'm forgetting key aspects of the gospel. Um, and the reason I pursue community is not because I, I don't know, I want to be a better church member or I want, or not primarily because I want to be a better church member. Or I want my kids to have more friends or whatever. That's all fun and good. Like at the baseline though, is like I pursue community more because I want the gospel. I want mm-hmm. Jesus. And there's aspects of the gospel. There's aspects of Jesus that I can't get with without <laughs> my brother in Christ. And sure. that, that actually, I can close on this, but this is a Bonhoeffer, quote that I love and come to time and time again. And we can kind of close on this thought and pick it up next episode. But Bonhoeffer just says, therefore, the Christian needs another Christian who speaks God's word to him. He needs him again and again when he becomes uncertain and discouraged. For by himself, he cannot help himself without belying the truth. He needs his brother man as a bearer and proclaimer of the divine word of salvation. He needs his brother solely because of Jesus Christ. The Christ in his own heart is weaker than the Christ in the word of his brother. His own heart is uncertain. His brother's is sure. I just, I wonder how much we think about community like that. How much you think about that person you walk into the door 
on Sunday when you see your brother or sister in Christ? Do you think you like need that person? <laughs> Do you think that you need that person not just because like, oh, I need to laugh today <laughs> or sure. I need to like, you know, share uh, some hard things going on? Or do you see that person as like, I need that person because that person actually enhances my experience with Jesus and enhances my experience of the gospel. I hope that as we continue to walk through this series that people see community more and more in that aspect of what Bonhoeffer's getting at there, of what the New Testament and Jesus is ultimately getting at, that we pursue community because it reveals what we believe to be true about God and that we're made for community ultimately because we're made for God. So that's where we're going. Great. Um, well, you said you wanted to end there. I'm not going to let you end okay. there because I want to <laughs> talk about one more quick thing. I just want to see where we're going. So yeah. that was community. Why do we need it? Uh-huh. But I see on our notes here that we have three more episodes. Do you want to just kind of give us a, a foretaste yeah. of what our next episodes are going to look like? Yeah, for sure. So this one is just kind of been you know establishing where we're going. Uh, the next episode is asking what went wrong. <laughs> so <laughs> okay. uh, obviously what we've talked about today is something has happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so how does sin affect how we view community? Thirdly, we're going to talk about how is it redeemed? Going to have a special guest for that episode. And then lastly, we're going to talk about really the practicals on things. How do we now pursue it? How do we, what are ways we can in this church and in other church settings actually pursue community? So, I mean, we really are thinking about this in a theological framework. Like, so creation, fall, redemption, new creation. So what are we created for? How did sin impact this? How has Jesus redeemed community? And what did, how did Jesus himself pursue community? And then how do we now practically, as those who are new creations, live out this community that we're called into? So Great. Well, looking forward to it. And uh, I think this conversation has already been very eye-opening for me. So I'm, I'm really excited for our next set of conversations. So I'll see you then. Sweet. See you.